Hi, friends. This is Pastor Dan Jackson. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Jacobswell Church. My hope and prayer is that this message will be a blessing to you and lead you into worshiping and enjoying our great and gracious God. With that said, let me encourage you to use this message as a supplement to and not a replacement of a local church. Christ did not establish his church simply for us to consume messages, but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. Lord, we are, we are thankful for this community you call the church. These brothers and sisters in Christ that you have given to us, fathers and mothers in the faith, that we do not have to do this journey on our own, but you have paired us together with your people. Lord, we pray now that as we turn to your word, that you would, again, as you so faithfully do through your Holy Spirit, convict us, motivate us, change us, and transform us from the inside out. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So I have never been to Canada, even though we don't live far away. I've never been to Canada, and I've heard many people talk about how beautiful Canada is with the serene lakes and the beautiful mountains and just kind of, you know, the, the, the untampered wilderness up there. To be honest, I would love to go to Canada, and even on sabbatical, I try to go to Canada. On our way back from Maine, where we went this, this, during the sabbatical, we stopped by Niagara Falls, which is on the way. And when we parked in the parking lot there, we backed up, and behind our car was uh, a sidewalk, and behind that sidewalk was a fence. And on the other side of that fence was the entrance into Canada. We were right there. We could almost touch it. And so I walked over to the visitor center at Niagara Falls, and I asked the guy, I said, hey, we have our passports. We have our birth certificates. Can we go into Canada? He said, yeah, sure you can. I said, well, here's the thing, is that we are now all vaxxed and boosted. Can we, can we still go? He's like, no, you can't go into Canada then. I said, well, well, I saw on a website that if we're just driving through, it's okay. Can we just drive through? And he said, you have no chance. There is no chance you can go into Canada. And this kind of hurt because it's one of my childhood dreams uh, to go and visit Banff National Park. I, I've seen pictures of it. It looks like just the most beautiful place on earth. And I am now told that I cannot enter the kingdom of Canada right now and maybe never the rest of my life. I just don't know. I mean, think of how painful it would be for you if you have this bucket list place that you want to go and the country says, sorry, you are not allowed in. Today, Jesus turns our attention to a more beautiful, a more wonderful, a more soul-satisfying kingdom, which is the kingdom of God. In fact, in our passage today, Jesus uses the phrase kingdom of God five times. And he uses the word entrance four times. And so Jesus' primary focus in this passage is to teach us about how do we enter into this kingdom of God. Now, why is this such a big deal? Well, C.S. Lewis once said this. He said, if we find ourselves with the desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, or you could say nothing in the kingdoms of this world satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world or another kingdom. And Jesus says that kingdom is the kingdom of God's. 
God. Friend, as we experience the sadness and sorrow and brokenness of this world, even as we experience the beautiful and wonderful and great things in this world, we all seem to know that something is still missing. We are all longing for something more. And Jesus proposes what our souls are longing for is the kingdom of God. And so here is the question. How do we get into the kingdom of God? The kingdom that our soul longs for, the kingdom that our body literally aches for, the kingdom that this world is waiting for. How do we get into the kingdom we were made for? the kingdom of God. If you would, please open up to Mark chapter 10. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, there should be a red Bible in the seat in front of you, and it is page 848 in the red Bible. If you do not own a Bible, that Bible is a gift for you to keep from Jacob's Well Church. We would love for you to have it. Uh, We are going to continue in the gospel of Mark through Labor Day, and then we will be jumping into 2 Samuel, which I am so excited about. I love preaching out the Old Testament because there's a lot of people who think the Old Testament is irrelevant and boring, and yet God's grace and gospel is spread throughout the Old Testament, and I love highlighting that with you and seeing uh, how God is at work throughout the whole story of mankind. But for now, we're going to look at Mark chapter 10. Um, We have a long passage today, so we're just going to start with verses 13 through 16. And if you like to underline and highlight, feel free to circle the kingdom of God phrases and underline enter. So here we are, Mark chapter 10, verse 13 through 16. This is God's word. And they were bringing children to Jesus that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you tell us to seek first the kingdom of God. And so we come this morning seeking the kingdom that we were made for. Help us to enjoy it. Help us to give thanks for it. Help us to love it more and more today. In Jesus' name, amen. In today's passage, Jesus uses three encounters to teach us about the kingdom of God. One of those encounters is with children, another encounter is with a rich man, and another encounter is with the disciples. And through these three encounters, Jesus is answering these questions. Who can enter the kingdom of God? How can we enter the kingdom of God? And when can we enter the kingdom of God? Who can enter? How can enter? And when can we enter the kingdom of God? First, who can enter the kingdom of God. Look at verse 13 with me, if you would, in your Bibles. Keep them open during the sermon, if you would. Verse 13 says, and they, talking about parents or guardians, were bringing children to Jesus that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuke them. In a parallel account of this story in the Gospel of Luke, we learn that these children were very young children. They were infants. That's the Greek term used in the Gospel of Luke. They were small babies, maybe other small children, but for the most part, infants, babies, those who the parents had to carry 
to Jesus. And this is important as we will find out in a little bit. But here's the thing is that the parents heard about how powerful the touch of Jesus was. That the touch of Jesus could heal the leper. That the touch of Jesus could make the dead come alive. And so they bring their kids saying, Jesus, would you just touch them and pray for them quickly along your way? And the disciples who are running crowd control rebuke them. They tell them to go away. Because from their perspective, these children were not worthy of Jesus' time. Jesus had more important things to do. He had to go and rebuke the Pharisees and heal the sick. Jesus was an important and busy man. How dare these parents think that they can interrupt his schedule for these kids? Verse 14. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. This is the only place in all of the Gospels where Jesus is described as indignant, which means he is furious. And he says to the disciples, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Jesus here obviously is showing to us that he loves children, that he values children. Jesus loves all the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children. This is clear here. But notice in this passage, it does not say to these kids belong the kingdom of God, as if there is some age of accountability and all kids get in or something like that. But he says to such as these belong the kingdom of God. And then he clarifies that in verse 15. He says, truly I say to you, Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. You shall not enter the kingdom of God unless you receive it like a child. Now, what does it mean to receive the kingdom of God like a child? I think there's a lot of confusion around this. I think many think that in order to receive the kingdom of God like a child, you have to receive it innocently. Like you are morally pure, able to just totally in great faith and great honesty and great integrity receive the kingdom of God. The problem with that is if you've ever had children, you know they are not innocent. From birth, they arch their backs screaming, saying, my will be done. From a young age, they say, mine, 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 mine. Without mom or dad teaching them, hopefully, they learn how to hit their brother and sister. They are not innocent from a young age. And so when Jesus says that we must receive the kingdom of God as a child, if it does not mean that we have to receive it morally innocent, then what does it mean to receive the kingdom of God as a child? What it means is we must receive it with the helplessness of a child. Our family has a dog named Charlie. Uh, she just turned three. I can't believe I haven't used her as an illustration before. We love our dog, Charlie. And uh, she is, she's, just, she's just the best dog ever. And Trish sent me this picture just a few weeks ago of Charlie. Here's Charlie uh, reading her Bible. Um, Charlie does this 6 a.m. every morning. Right next to her is a coffee table with her hot cup of coffee. It's just amazing what our dog does. Um, seriously, though, uh, you know, there's a lot of times where Charlie and I will sit together and I'll be petting her and we'll be enjoying one another. And, and I'll say to Charlie, I'll say, Charlie, you are the laziest dog ever. You never cut the lawn. You never do the dishes. 
You never help out with the laundry. You are the laziest dog ever. And of course, I'm joking with her because this is something that she is completely incapable of doing. You know, it's the same way with children, with infants, right? I mean, I mean you don't ask the infants to help you sweep out the garage. You don't ask infants to help you paint the ceiling. Infants are completely helpless, and they are so dependent on mom and dad for everything. They're dependent on mom and dad to feed them, to change them, to clothe them, to protect them, even to move them and to shelter them and to help them burp. You know, babies are so helpless that they can't even keep their big head up without mom and dad's help. All babies seem to contribute to the family is the smelliest, nastiest, poopy diapers you can imagine. They are absolutely helpless in and of themselves, and yet we delight in them. We cherish them. We reorganize our finances and time and life around them. And so who can enter the kingdom of God? Only those who receive it like a child, totally and completely, helplessly dependent upon Jesus. Verse 16 continues. It says, and Jesus took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. The parents were just hoping that Jesus would touch them and pray for them really quickly. But Jesus, our wonderful Savior, goes far further than that with all of his children. He embraces them in his arms and he pronounces blessing upon them. This is the abundant love of our Savior for children, physical children spiritual children. And so who can enter the kingdom of God? It's not the morally strong, not the spiritually able. It's those who confess and acknowledge they are absolutely helpless in and of themselves. Second question. So first is who can enter the kingdom of God? Second, how can we enter the kingdom of God? If we're just babies, if we can't even move one foot from here to there as spiritual infants, how can we possibly climb up to heaven? Well, verse 17, look there with me if you would. It says, and as Jesus was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? There's a lot in this question that we see here. Uh, First off, in the Gospel of Luke, we're told that this man who runs up is a ruler, meaning he's probably a leader in the synagogue. And so he comes up to Jesus and he falls down before Jesus in, in in a posture of respect and homage. And then he asks this wonderful question, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? No one has ever asked such a good question of Jesus in the Gospels. This is the best question because his focus is on what Jesus Jesus is focused on, which is eternal life, and he knows that Jesus is the one who knows how to get eternal life. And so this is the best question really throughout the gospel, but it is also the worst question. Two things can be true. It is the best question and the worst question. Look at what he says. He says, what must I do? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Unlike a baby that is dependent on others for everything, this man is looking towards himself, his actions, his works, his deeds for his eternal life. Friends, this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life, is the right question for every religion except Christianity. 
You see, every religion is contingent on what you do to inherit eternal life. There is a list of what you must do and what you must not do. You have to pray enough, give enough, be good enough. But Jesus just told us we must come as helpless babies, not dependent on our doing, but recognizing our neediness. Now, Jesus reaffirms this and his challenge of this man's understanding of goodness. And, and I think it will challenge our understanding of goodness as well. He calls Jesus good teacher, and Jesus isn't denying he's a good teacher, but he's challenging this man's understanding of goodness. Look at verse 19 with me, uh, verse 18. It says, And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. I've written about this extensively in my booklets, but this idea of good is an interesting one. For example, uh, can I say, you know, David Gallagher, he's a good guy. Can I say that? Because Jesus says no one is good except God alone. So can, I, can we say, oh, that guy, he's a good guy, he's a good mechanic, he's a good whatever. Can, can we say those things? See, here's the thing about goodness. Goodness is relative. It's relative to a standard or a measure. It's relative to whatever you are comparing that person to. So let me illustrate this with tallness. You know, when I go to my wife's family, to Trisha's family, I'm the tall one. I'm the one who grabs the plate off the top shelf. I'm the one who knocks down the cobwebs. I'm the one who has to bend his knees in family photos just to fit in with everyone else. And the reason is, is because I'm six foot, two inches tall, and their standard of tallness is about five foot, 10 inches. And so I am the tall one around Trisha's family. But when I go to early morning basketball at the YMCA, and the standard of tallness is around six foot five inches, I am now the short one who never gets past the ball, right? The tallness is relative compared to the people you are comparing yourself around. It is the same way with goodness. This man, understanding of goodness is, is in comparison to the humanity that is around him. This is what people do today. This is what we do today. Say, we are a pretty good person. I mean, I'm not Hitler, right? Like that should be our standard of goodness is Hitler, right? I'm not Hitler, so I'm a pretty good person. So our measure of goodness is often other people, and that can be helpful at times, especially as we're trying to entrust our kids to babysitters and things of that sorts. But what is Jesus's standard of goodness? What is his measuring stick of what is good? And what we see here, what we read here, is that his measurement of goodness is the moral law of God, which is summarized in the Ten Commandments. Look at verse 19 with me. Jesus says, you know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud, which is a combination of stealing and bearing false witness. Maybe one way this man got so rich. He says, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from youth. If this man really was a ruler in the synagogue, then he should have known that he has not kept these from his youth. Because God's primary concern is not just with outward actions, but with the heart. Jesus tells us that if anyone lusts after someone that they're not married to, that they are guilty of adultery. Stealing isn't just grand theft auto, it's also robbing from your employee by scrolling through social media hours on end. Bearing false witness is not only telling an outright lie for self-preservation, but twisting the truth a little bit to make you look better than the other person. Honoring your father and mother 
includes rolling your eyes, disobeying your parents, speaking ill of them. All of these dishonor your father and mother. Surely this man was guilty on all accounts, just as we are. God's moral law summarized in the Ten Commandments are God's standard of goodness. And we all fall short of this standard on a daily basis. You know, to return to my illustration of tallness, imagine if you are seven feet tall and you are uh, at Lambeau Field after a Packer game or an event and you're walking around in the parking lot. You will look around and you will feel like a very tall person and you will be a very tall person as you, from that perspective. But imagine if there is a person on the rooftop of Lambeau Field looking down on the crowd. If they look down on the crowd, your tallness at best will be negligible. They may not even know that you're taller than anyone else. And yet here's the thing is that God's measure of goodness is not from the street level, is not from the top of Lambeau Field, but it is from heaven above. It is absolute moral perfection of which we all fall short. And so Jesus is challenging this man's understanding of good because it's clear he thinks of himself as a good purpose in terms of inheriting eternal life. And so Jesus goes one step further. And he plunges into the first commandment. The first commandment being that we should have no other gods besides the Lord God. And Jesus contextualizes it and puts it into this man's life. Verse 21 says, And Jesus, looking at him with pity, loved him. He cares for this man and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Jesus loves this man so much that he will not allow him to continue with his deception of goodness. Jesus goes to this first commandment, to show that this man is, in not, is, not, is indeed not good compared to God. For this man, his God was his money, his possession, his toys, his security, things that Americans certainly cannot comprehend. And so Jesus tells the man, give it all up. And then he makes this amazing offer. Come, follow me. If you remember, that's the subheading of our sermon series. If you look on your bulletin or on the slide up here, you'll see the subheading. Jesus says, come follow me. We are to know Jesus, to love Jesus, to grow closer to Jesus, and to follow Jesus. That is the purpose of our life. And so Jesus says, hey, come and follow me. This man appears to have the opportunity to become the 13th apostle. And instead of being thrilled by this proposal... He walks away sad because he treasures money more than Jesus. What about you? What do you worship? What takes first place in your life? Is it God or money? Jesus or possessions? Do you live generously and obediently with your money, tithing, supporting missionaries, giving to the poor, or do you Do you take all of your money and invest it and spend it to build your kingdom because that is of first importance to you? 
Here in this passage, we are reminded of the good news that as wonderful as money and possessions and toys are, and they are good gifts from God, nothing is of a greater treasure than Jesus. And so Jesus calls us to come and follow him, no matter the cost, because nothing compares to him. Verse 23 continues. It says, And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. In those days, it was assumed that if someone was wealthy, it's because God has placed his favor upon him. And if God has placed his favor upon him, then certainly he is a shoe in for the kingdom of God. And yet Jesus turns that upside down and on its head. And he says, How hard it is for the rich to get into the kingdom of God. And so verse 24 continues. Jesus said to them, children. So important to see how he calls them. Children. Remember what he just said in the previous encounter. Children will inherit the kingdom of God. He is reminding the disciples, the apostles, of their place in the kingdom of God. He says, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus is simultaneously comforting his apostles, reminding them that they are children, they are members of the kingdom of God, but at the same time saying it is absolutely impossible for anyone, even a rich person, to get into heaven. He elaborates on that, verse 26, and says, And they were exceedingly astonished and said to them, Then who can be saved? If the rich aren't saved, if those who have the favor of God are not saved, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. I'm guessing you've heard of the movies Mission Impossible. There's eight of these movies, which makes you wonder how impossible are these missions really? You know, I mean, like if he accomplishes every single one, they're not all that impossible. They they might be very, very hard, but they're not impossible, right? But, but hard, hard mission just doesn't sound good as a, as a movie title. This rich man was on an absolutely impossible mission. And that he was trying to save himself by his own goodness. He had absolutely no chance. Can I be honest with you this morning? You have no chance of getting you into the kingdom of God. Because you cannot save you any more that you can swim you from California to China. It is impossible mission that you cannot be successful at. Your salvation, your entrance into the kingdom of God is impossible for you, but not for God. Friends, this way of eternal life is so distinctly Christian. Let me explain it from this mountain illustration. I know Many of you have heard this before, but I know it's really helpful for a lot of folks. And so this is a picture of Mount Everest. And and this is, Americans generally think this way, is that God is at the top of the mountain. He's just sitting up there waiting for people, right? And so you have Hindus climbing up one side of the mountains, Muslims another side, Buddhists another side, uh, you know, Native Americans another side, Christians on the other side. And they're all climbing this mountain up to God. They just cannot see one another. Sounds pretty good, right? But what Jesus tells us is that we are helpless babies. Worse than that, we are spiritually dead. We are at the base of the mountain. And so we cannot climb our way up to God 
and our salvation, but God had to come down the mountain to us to save us in his son, Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what Christ has done in his incarnation. He left heaven above to come down into the world. And he was the only good man to ever live because he never sinned. And he climbed the mountain with his righteousness, climbing the Mount of Calvary on our behalf, where Jesus took on our sin, our rebellion, our self-dependence, and paid for it in full upon the cross, and then rose from the dead and ascended to heaven above to bring us with him where he is ruling and reigning at this time. And so who can enter the kingdom of God? It's not the strong, not the moral, not the rich. Only those who acknowledge they are as helpless as an infant. How can we enter the kingdom of God? Not by what we do for God, but by what God has done for us and his son, Jesus Christ. So stop striving to earn your salvation and turn to Jesus. For as Jesus said, with man, your salvation is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Final question. When can we enter the kingdom of God? I asked someone this question this week. When do we enter the kingdom of God? I'm curious what you would say. You don't have to say it out loud, but I said, you know, when do we enter the kingdom of God? And the person said, you know, I'm not sure if it's right when Jesus comes back or, or if it's, you know, after judgment or, or how that works. I'm not sure when we enter the kingdom of God. And so what Jesus says to us here is very helpful. Look at verse 28. Peter began to say to him, see, we have left everything and followed you. I, I love Peter. Peter talks too much on a regular basis, but Peter's saying the things we're thinking of. Peter's saying, listen, Jesus, we gave up our families, our businesses, our, 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 our comfort to come and follow you, and now you're telling us it's worth nothing at all for our salvation? And so Jesus says, whoa, 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 let me, let me show you how this is good. Verse 29, Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one no one, including you, no one who has left house or brother or sister or mother or father or child or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold. And then here it is. Look very closely. Now in this time. What's this hundredfold look like? Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands. And then I love this. Just to set our expectations correct, he says, with persecutions. <laughs> Jesus is making it clear, you will receive a hundredfold, but you will also suffer. And so when do we enter the kingdom of God? Well, Jesus says now, already. He says now is the time. You see, when you trust in Christ as your savior and not in your own moral goodness, you are instantly adopted into a family with God as our father, Jesus as our big brother, the Holy Spirit as our counselor, comforter, connector. You become part of the global family of God, which is called the church. And we are not blood brothers and sisters, but we are bonded by something stronger than blood. We are bonded by the Holy Spirit. We are brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers in the kingdom of God. We are a family, and this is what Jesus is speaking of here in this passage. You know, this is one reason why we so discourage the online church movement, because every Sunday morning is always a family reunion. And a family reunion is just not the same when it's over Zoom, is it? And so when you choose to follow Jesus, your nuclear family may shun you, may belittle you, may dismiss you. But what Jesus says is when you 
follow him, you inherit a bigger family. I have so many examples of this, but let me give three really quick ones. Many of you know a couple months ago there was a 24-year-old young lady who posted something on our Facebook page. She was coming up here for a temporary internship, and she says, hey, I'm looking for some housing if anyone can help out. And between our church and All Saints Church, she has had a place to stay. Our houses have become her houses. Our yards have become her yards. Even when she was going through a bout of homesickness, a lot of you surrounded her and loved her and cared for her. It was great because I knew nothing about it until later. You were just being the church. You were being a family to this woman. Mike Williams, who's a member here, uh, had COVID very bad last year, almost died. November 14, 2021, he wrote me this email. He says, I wanted to share something with you about the saints at Jacob's Well. A couple of weeks ago, when our yard was absolutely a foot deep in leaves, about 15 folks from the church came over and raked our leaves. I was too sick to even get out of bed and see who specifically was in our yard. In previous years, leaf removal usually took Jan and me at least three full days. This year, we never once asked for help. My prayer was to hope that God would send a wind. And he did. He sent his spirit who indwells each believer. Those kind Jacob's Well Christians demonstrated the love of God to us in an unforgettable way, causing us to, quote, wonder how the heart of God could care so much for us, unquote. My boys started up a mowing business, and they bought an old mower, riding mower, and it was falling apart pretty quickly. All I had to do was call the guy in church and say, hey, we need some help, and he came over and helped. This is what it means to be a part of the family of God. We have brothers and sisters in Christ, not only here, but throughout the world. You know, my family lives three hours, or Trisha's family lives three hours away. Mine lives further. You have been our family. And we are so thankful for God's provision of you. Now, I want to be careful because I know for some of you, maybe this has not yet been your experience. And I'm sorry that it hasn't been. But I am so thankful to be a part of this family and the universal family of God called the church. Back to our question. When do we enter the kingdom of God? Jesus says, now is the time. You will have persecution. But if you trust in me, you are in the kingdom of God already. But he also says, not yet. It's also coming. Look again with me at verse 29. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brother or sister or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time. Now in this time. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecution. And here's the important word. And. And in the age to come, eternal life. We live in a time that theologians call the already not yet. In the Old Testament, it was promised to the people of God that there would come a kingdom and a king that would come from the line of David and establish an everlasting kingdom that would rule and reign over all the world. And when Christ comes, he establishes his kingdom through his death and resurrection. He ascends into heaven where he is ruling and reigning and he is building his kingdom on earth in and through the church. But make no mistake, the kingdom is not yet complete. Christ will come again and give us the kingdom that all of our hearts long for, perfectly holy and perfectly happy. As I mentioned, we, um, 
We went to Niagara Falls on the way home. And if you've never been there before, they have these decks, these observation decks. You can stand and look over the falls. And I think I have a picture of it up here. You can see that's our family. And uh, what's so great is when you're on this deck, uh, you can actually feel the mist off of the falls. And so the deck below you, you wet, and on a hot day, it just feels so good. And you hear the roar, and you see the power of the waterfalls. And it's just amazing to be there and to observe it and to feel it. And so in this passage, we are, already, we are already at Niagara Falls, but not quite yet. After this picture, we went and took an elevator down to the bottom of Niagara Falls. And uh, here's a video. It's called the Hurricane Deck. And on the Hurricane Deck, you are actually under the waterfalls. You can go, I think there's a picture there you can go to next. That's, that's a picture of it where you're underneath the hurricane. We were then at Niagara Falls, right? I mean, we already were in some sense, but then we were. You know, right now, we are enjoying the mists of the kingdom of God, and it is wonderful, and it is glorious, and it is beautiful. But when Christ returns, it will be a tornado of his glory that will be weighed upon you, that will make you lash out in joy. This is the picture of the kingdom of God. It is already, and it is not yet. When can we get into the kingdom of God? You already are if you are in Christ, but if you are not, you can enter any moment you want. Let me, let me end with this. Have you, ever, have you ever wanted to be a part of a group of people um, and were left out? Maybe a birthday party or, or a, a friend getaway or something like that. As many of you know, I, I love playing sports. Uh, I, ever, I have since a young child. My family was a very athletic family. And growing up, I was just dreaming of playing all of these sports in high school. I wanted to play them all. And so tried out for basketball, barely didn't make it. Tried out for baseball, barely didn't make it. Tried out for even men's volleyball, because I was desperate, all right? And barely didn't make it. Matter of fact, anything that had cuts, I got cut from, okay? And for a person who's athletic, it is devastating, because I want to be a part of that team. You know, there's such good news in this passage, and the good news is this, is that the kingdom of God is easier to enter than a high school sports team, and it's easier to enter than Canada. Matter of fact, you can enter the kingdom of God right now. All you have to do is give up on yourself and your own moral righteousness and trust in Christ for your salvation. Jesus gives us a summary verse in verse 31 says, but many who are first will be last and the last will be first. Talking about the kingdom of God. So who can enter the kingdom of God? Not those who place themselves first and say, look how good I am, but put themselves last and say, I am so needy. How can we enter the kingdom of God? Well, the one who was first, Jesus Christ, came into the world and made himself last for our sake. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross for our salvation. And finally, when can we enter the kingdom of God? As I said, any moment, even now, you can come into the kingdom because the king is ruling in heaven and he welcomes you in and he turns no one away. And one day the king will come again and the kingdom will come in full and we will be in his presence for all eternity. Let's pray. Lord God, I, I, I confess that I forget that I am in the kingdom of God. 
the benefits of the kingdom. I take for granted all the time, and yet you have so richly blessed us with this community, with this family of believers to, to do life with, God. And you have blessed us with the presence of your Holy Spirit and the salvation through your Son, Lord. And so, God, we pray that we would enjoy the kingdom we have now, the midst of the kingdom, and long for the kingdom that is yet to be fulfilled. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here today who came maybe looking, longing to be a part of a kingdom greater than what they have been, God, that they would trust in Christ and turn to you for their salvation and entrance into the family and the kingdom of God. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.